0: Every day, I know that this virus brings new sadness and mourning to households across the land. That this is the biggest single challenge this country has faced since the war.
1: The European Commission has launched a global campaign to find a cure for the coronavirus. Because today, the world is coming together to defeat this virus.
0: Passing through the
1: peak. I want to thank everyone on the NHS frontline as well as care workers and those carrying out essential roles who selflessly continue their day-to-day duties outside the home in support of us all. The chase the rainbow trend has seen kids all around the world put the colourful images in their window as a positive message.
0: This is the worst public health crisis for a generation.
1: And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. and multiply in it. Hi everyone,
0: my name's Toby Ford-Weston. Uh, we're continuing on in our End of the World as We Know It series, looking at the life and times of the man, Noah. Have you ever started something uh, only to have it go horribly wrong? Have you ever re-attempted that same thing that you started? only to have that go basically just as bad. Uh, when I was uh, 17 years old, I, um, I started taking driving lessons. I saved a little bit of money. I was, was keen to have my own freedom and autonomy. And, and at that age, uh, my late teens, early 20s, I was a fairly humble guy. Um, case in point, my, my university student card should come up in just a moment. And uh, it was taken when I was 20 years old, um, so only, what, two or three years ago. And, uh, and in it, you can really see the humility in my heart and, and the innocence in my eyes. Mm, no, nah. I was pretty much the opposite of that, actually. Uh, I kind of regarded myself as something of a, of a badass, Um, and although right now you might be tempted to hold your purse a little bit more tightly uh, it may be of interest to you that the uh, piercing in my left ear uh, was done at uh, Claire's Accessories and the earring in my left ear is a uh, £4.50 cubic zirconia from Argos' Autumn Winter catalogue. So I, I, I had some pride issues, I would say, and it probably wouldn't have been a good idea for me to have uh, been in charge of a vehicle unsupervised. I think God God knew that. He's, he's, he's a good father, and uh, I think he wanted to teach me uh, something through my driving lessons, and I think he's got a sense of humor as well. And so when I went into uh, my driving test, I thought, I've got this absolutely in the bag. I re- regarded myself as something of the messiah of motoring, uh, the prodigy of parking, the hero of the handbrake. That's kind of the way I, saw, I thought of myself, and I went in full of confidence. And to be fair, I did pretty well, uh, right up until sort of three quarters of the way through the test where someone sort of cut in front of me. I didn't like it. I went on the outside and I sort of cut in front of him. Uh, needless to say, I failed the test. Now, on my second test, I didn't check my blind spots a couple of times, something like that, and I, and I failed the test. The third test, I failed. The fourth test, I failed. Now, by the time the fifth test came along, uh, rumour had it that uh, Louis Theroux was considering doing a documentary on me and driving. And uh, this time, I was a bit more conservative, a bit more humble. I thought, man, I've spent what seems like a couple of hundred thousand pounds on driving lessons. I just want to pass this thing, right? I just want to pass it. And on the fifth time of asking, I failed I passed on my sixth attempt. If third time is lucky, sixth time is doubly lucky. I think that they had compassion on me. I think it was a bit of a fluke. I was something of a regular at the test center, and I think the examiner just thought, you know what, let's just give him a bye on this one. And and I passed the test. Now, I'd like to think I'm a better driver now, but the reason that I tell you the story is because, well, my first five driving tests in a very much more small and less significant way, kind of for a summary of the Old Testament of the Bible. My first five driving tests, in a much smaller and less significant way, kind of summarized Genesis chapter 3 to Genesis chapter 9. You see, because God created humanity and sin quickly entered into humanity through Adam, our first father, as he ate of the fruit that was forbidden him to eat. And what happened there was essentially sin, the force of sin, ran rush shot over humanity and creation, causing corruption in the human heart, a corruption that still exists today, which is essentially a bent, a a proclivity, a propensity to wander away from God, to not want God. Therefore, the line of Adam, the descendants of Adam, those who came after Adam, essentially... It was sin, death, sin, death, sin, death, fail, 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 much like my first five driving tests. Now, this happened for what some speculate might be around a thousand years and and, and, and Noah came along. Noah actually found grace from God and God was about to judge the world for its wickedness, judge humanity for the, the sinful condition which was in all of our human hearts. After many years of patience, as we learned a number of weeks ago, Noah found grace from God. God instructed Noah to build an ark. Noah did. Noah and his family were delivered, along with the animals, into a new world. Only the new world after the flood was much like the old world. Because the same sinful condition was still in the heart of humanity which means the sins pre-flood that brought the flood on would still be the same kinds of sins that were occurring post-flood. And we see this in a couple of places. We see this in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. Before the flood, God says this. It says, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That was pre flood, that was before the flood. And then post flood, after the flood, God says something very similar in Genesis chapter 8, verse 21 says this the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Again, so the new world is very similar to the old world. Not much has changed. But what's interesting is God's intention for humanity hasn't changed either. God was willing to continue. God was willing to recommission humanity to his, to his original intent and purposes, if only through a different flawed figurehead, Noah instead of Adam. And in this, we see that Noah and Adam bear a number of similarities. Both men are fathers of a fallen humanity. Both men rule over animals. Both men are given the cultural mandate to multiply, be fruitful, and build a culture that displays the wonders of God. Both men sin spectacularly against God. Both men's sin results in a shameful nakedness. More on that in two weeks' time. Both men have their sin covered up. Both men... Enter a new world out of a watery chaos. Both men have three sons. Both men are farmers. Both men are in covenant with God. And both men are blessed by God. Why all the similarities? Well, though Noah and Adam were different men, the reality is that they weren't all that different. Yet God would not give up even going so far as to recommission and bless humanity. And that's really where we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. It says this, God blessed Noah and his sons. I don't know what your view of God is. But I tell you, God, God is a God that blesses. That's God's heart. That's what he wants to do. He wants to bless. And the way God was going to bless, uh, particularly here, is he would would say, be fruitful and multiply. Uh, God wouldn't just say it once, he'd say it twice. He says it at the beginning and at the end. Why does he say it twice? Well, to add emphasis, to show God means business. This is what God wants. This is what God's like. This is his pumping heart for humanity, which he loves. To be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth. So, so what does it mean to be fruitful and multiply? What does it actually mean? Well, God first said to be fruitful and multiply to Adam in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Similarly, Adam and Eve needed to populate the earth. And Noah finds himself in that same situation whereby him and his sons are charged and tasked with populating the earth. Therefore, to be fruitful and multiply means to procreate, to have children. But it wouldn't be fair to say that that's all it means. In fact, it means so much more than that, that included, but more. Because God's desire for humanity was to to harness, to to, to bring to order the raw potential of the earth and and display the the, the wisdom and the the beauty and the power of God. God. God wanted an overall flourishing of humanity that would bring a flourishing over the face of the earth, materially and spiritually. God essentially wanted the earth to be full of his glory. Put simply, God wanted the earth that he created to reflect him. And a scripture that might help us understand what it really means, the heart behind God's desire for humanity to be fruitful and multiply, is in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. And There it says this, essentially the Lord wanted for the earth to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God wanted for the earth to be filled with, with a knowledge of the glory of the lord as the waters cover the sea this means in every nook in every cranny in every sphere of human influence god wanted flourishing and fruitfulness this means that god wanted fruitfulness and still wants fruitfulness in procreation in politics in business in manufacturing in tech in finance in sales in sport In logistics, in architecture, in parenting, in marriages, in marketing, in ambition, in exploration, in environmental care, in social justice, in schools, in engineering, in the arts, in agriculture, in tourism, in science, in journalism, in speech, in love, in morality. God wanted for the earth to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I don't know what your view of God is. Maybe you feel God is a a God that likes to crush and to minimize. No. God is an expansive God. He's a God that wants your fruitfulness and your flourishing. Meaning that if you're in a situation where God himself is pruning you, He's only pruning you for a future flourishing and fruitfulness that is yet to be seen. God's desire for you as a person and God's desire for humanity as a people is fruitfulness. And to to ensure human fruitfulness, God puts four provisions in. Remember, I said at the beginning, God said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. And at the end, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. And in the middle of the sandwich, if you like, are four blessings, which are there to enable the flourishing and fruitfulness of humanity. In verse two, God blesses humanity with prominence over the animals. In verse three, God blesses humanity with provision of the animals, in verse 4, God blesses humanity with a prohibition in relation to the animals. And in verse 5, God blesses humanity with protection, not from the animals, but from each other. All this to say that God has wired into creation his desire for fruitfulness and multiplication by his common grace. God wants Fruitfulness in every single sphere of human influence. But are we being fruitful? Humanity as a people, I mean, corporately, are we fruitful in the way God originally intended? Poverty, pollution, Pornography, deforestation, climate issues, mental health issues, human rights violations, forest fires, droughts, mass displacement, marine pollution, war, inequality, corruption, unemployment, discrimination, financial instability, cybercrime, greed, and pandemic viruses. Are we really being fruitful? That's the macro. What about the micro? That's the that's the big. What what about the small? I tell you from personal experience, there are few things that are more frustrating, few things that are more painful than a lack of fruitfulness in any sphere, in any anywhere in life. Be it a lack of fruitfulness in Marriage or frustration that you're not yet married. Be it a lack of fruitfulness in amongst your children or frustration that you've not yet been able to conceive. Be it a lack of fruitfulness in your work or frustration that you don't have work. Perhaps COVID-19 has added an extra layer of complexity into these things for you. What about, what about the fact that one of the most frustrating things about a lack of fruitfulness is really the fact that we know that things shouldn't be like this, don't we? Have you ever caught yourself saying, things shouldn't be this hard? Why do we say that? Why do we say that? Could it be that we hear the faint echo of a good father who said, be fruitful and multiply? Something in us knows that no, things, things, shouldn't, things shouldn't be like this. They shouldn't. Perhaps for you, every time you plant a seed for fruit, It feels like thorns and thistles sprout up. Ever tried to turn a new leaf? Ever tried to give something up? Ever tried to make a New Year's resolution? Why? Why? Why is all this happening? What, what, how do we make sense of all this? I thought you said, Toby, I thought you said that God wanted was a God that loves to bless. I thought that's what we read in Genesis chapter 9, that God blessed Noah. So is God not powerful enough or has he, he withdrawn his blessing? Is, uh, wh- how do we make sense of all this? I thought he wanted us to be fruitful and multiply. It's a good question. And the Bible consistently teaches that we live in a corrupted world, a fallen world, a broken world, a world that's been tainted by sin. Again, Genesis chapter 3, Adam. And while God's blessings that we've read about in Genesis chapter 9 are still very much in effect, and many other blessings that occur on a daily basis, nevertheless, this life, this life will be a mixture of Joy in God's blessings and frustration in the brokenness and burden of sin. The reality is the world we live in is broken. You know that. You know that. You and I, we are broken. We are. We've all sinned. We're all complicit in how the world is. This is our world. We've all sinned. We're broken. But what I, love, what I love about God is as I read through the pages of this book, time and time again, I see a God that is drawn to brokenness. We see it in our passage. The world is corrupted. The world is broken. Yet God is drawn to humanity that he loves. He would recommission humanity. He would, he would bless humanity. This, this, is, this happens time and time and time again throughout the Bible. So many men and women recommissioned by God. It happened to Noah, it happened to Abraham, it happened to Jacob, it happened to Moses, it happened to Jonah, it happened to Gideon, it happened to David, it happened to Peter, it happened to Paul, it happened to John Mark, I could go on. All of these men were write-offs that God did not write off. All of these men received great Kindness from God and God's kindness made these men great. God is God is drawn to what is broken. Where are you broken? Perhaps for you it's a relationship thing. I just in in preparation I, I just got sort of a picture of. A number of people that um, continually kind of are looking back at their life. Like perhaps you're looking back at your life quite a lot and you, you feel a lot of regret over certain, the, the way you've been in certain relationships. Uh, the words that the Bible use, uses often are uh, uh, guilt and, and shame. Perhaps you, you feel guilty, perhaps even ashamed at the way you've acted in certain key relationships in your life. What does God say to you? I want to recommission you. Maybe for you it's hurt. For some, something's happened that has changed everything. It's knocked you for six. And um, you've kind of mentally or emotionally checked out as a result of this thing perhaps even there's an element of frustration with God maybe anger with God what does God say to you I want to recommission you maybe maybe you're not yet a Christian maybe you're just looking in on us welcome maybe maybe you've known for years that There must be a God. You you know that there is, that there must be, must be. But perhaps you've said something along the lines of, yeah, I'll investigate it more later. Or or even perhaps you've said, yeah, on my deathbed, I'll think about it. Uh, You've kept God at arm's length. You've kind of kept him at bay somewhat. You've socially distanced yourself away from him. What does God say to you? I want to recommission you. Perhaps perhaps even you you used to come to church. Perhaps you were regularly an attender. Maybe there was one time you were excited about the things of God. But something happened. Something that changed everything. And since then, you've not been coming to church. You've not been even necessarily walking with God. You've kind of done your own thing but friend, you, you, know, you know way too much. You know him. You know he's good. What does God say to you? He says, I'm not done with you. I want to recommission you. There's an old saying that goes, um, out with the old, in with the new. Is this what our God's like? No. God is a God that recommissions the old. And in Christ, makes all things new. And I'm not talking about new like a new chapter in a book. I'm talking about new as in a new book. A new story. God wants to give you a better story than the story you've been writing. God wants to give you a better story than even Noah's story. And you know, an argument could be made for Noah, you know. God said, be fruitful and multiply. That's what he did. The Bible teaches we're all children of Noah. He was fruitful and multiplied, but on a surface level. I tell you, God's desire and requirement for fruitfulness for you personally and humanity as a people goes so much deeper than that. There are people in this world whose body of work might seem impressive. But in reality, though, though their work might seem prolific, without Jesus in the sight of God, it's profane. Though, though their work might seem prosperous, without Jesus in the sight of God, it's poor. Though their work might be productive, without Jesus in the sight of God, it's pointless. Even as we attempt to reopen our economy, Jesus, I tell you, he wants more for you than productivity. He wants more for you than a seeming uh, proficiency. He wants more for you than kind of a prolificness that is in for this life and ends at the grave abruptly. No, Jesus doesn't want a, a perceived prosperity or productivity for you. No, He wants fruitfulness for you. No, God, God has a better story for you, and you receive a better story. By repenting of your sin, repenting of your fruitlessness, and accepting Jesus Christ. And upon doing that, you receive total forgiveness for all of your sin, past, present, and future. And you receive the unprecedented, incomparable, extraordinary fruitfulness of the man who was fruitful... For you. Jesus Christ, perfect in fruitfulness. Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 12, as he's he's praying to his father, he says this. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. And not one of them has been lost incredible this means for every person that God has chosen in every case from every nation from every race through every affliction for all time Jesus can say not one has been lost perfect success Jesus was fruitful in life. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He cleansed the lepers. He cast out demons. Jesus was fruitful at the point of death, saying, Mother, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. Truly today, you, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus was fruitful in death, curtain torn in two, dead being raised to life. Jesus was fruitful in length. Behold, a great multitude, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, who is Jesus. Revelation chapter 7 verse 9. Jesus wasn't just fruitful in length. He was fruitful in depth. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Revelation chapter 21 verse 4. Jesus was fruitful with no wife, fruitful with no children, fruitful with no university degree, Fruitful with no formal education, fruitful with no home ownership, fruitful with no home at all. Jesus' fruitfulness is fruitfulness squared. Jesus' fruitfulness is fruitfulness to the power of, to the power of, to the power of. And that fruitfulness through faith in his death and his subsequent resurrection is given to you in full from God. And after you've received a new life, and after you've been recommissioned in Christ, and after you've had all of your sins completely forgiven, Jesus, the man who knows fruitfulness, Mr. Fruitful, comes to you. Comes to you now. And he whispers these words. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. We're going to give you an opportunity to
1: respond in just a moment. But first of all, we're going to worship God.